Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Now, over the last few episodes of our podcast, we've been trying to remind you that even though Christmas is going to be different in 2020, that doesn't mean that Christmas is canceled. And that's because Christmas isn't about how we celebrate, Christmas is about who we celebrate. So we've taken some time over the last few episodes to try to remind you about who our God is. And we've been doing that by exploring some different stories of the people that we find in the Christmas story. So we've talked about Mary and we've talked about Joseph. And this week we're going to talk about the shepherds. And we'll see what the shepherds' inclusion in the story of Jesus' birth can teach us about who our God really is. So let's get right into this episode sermon. Well, Christmas is now just five days away, but even though Christmas is almost here, the surge in cases of COVID-19 over the last few weeks has caused every one of us to rethink how we're going to celebrate Christmas this year. So some of us have decided that we're going to follow the CDC's guidelines, and that means that we've canceled our trips to see our family and our friends this Christmas means that some of us have decided to forego our traditional holiday dinners so that we can spend Christmas Day with our family members while everyone gathered together wears a face mask. means that some of us have been quarantining in our own homes over the last couple of weeks to try to make sure that we're not sick before we head home for the holidays. And it means that some of us are just planning on dropping off our presents on the doorsteps of our loved ones this year while we smile at each other and we wave through a window to try to celebrate Christmas. But no matter how you're planning on spending December 25th this year, by this point, I think we've all realized that this Christmas isn't going to be a normal Christmas. This Christmas isn't going to be a normal Christmas. So over the last few weeks, most of us have been wondering if we can even celebrate Christmas if we can't get together with our family or our friends. Or we've been wondering if we can even celebrate Christmas if we're all opening up our presents over a Zoom call this year. Or we've been wondering if we can even celebrate Christmas if we can't sit down for that traditional Christmas dinner. And we've been wondering if we can even celebrate Christmas if we can't sing Silent Night together in a sanctuary on Christmas Eve. But one of the things that I've realized over the last few weeks is that even though my plans for Christmas Day are going to be different this year than they have ever been before, I've still been able to do a lot of the things that I do to celebrate Christmas every single year. I mean, we've still put up our Christmas tree and all of our outdoor decorations at the Shell household, and I've still been opening up my Lego Advent calendar every day this month. I've been listening to Christmas music as I've driven around in my car. I've reread my favorite Christmas story, which is A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, in case you're wondering. And I've spent a lot of time watching lots and lots of Christmas movies. So, over the last few weeks, I have watched all three of the Home Alone movies, and I've watched all three of the Santa Claus movies, starring Tim Allen, and I've watched all three of the Grinch movies, even though they're not a trilogy. I've also made time to watch some Christmas classics like Miracle on 34th Street and It's a Wonderful Life, but I've made time to watch Netflix's newest Christmas movie called Jingle Jangle, which tells the story of an old toy maker who finds new hope when his granddaughter comes to visit with him, and shouldn't be confused with the movie Jingle All the Way, where Arnold Schwarzenegger gets into a fight with Sinbad the day before Christmas so that he can try to come home with that year's hottest Christmas toy to give to his son. But you know what? 
I've watched Jingle All the Way this Christmas, too. But if you know me, you know there is one movie that I look forward to watching at Christmas time more than any other movie. And I think it's because this movie reminds me of what we've been talking about over the last few weeks here at Melbourne Heights. This movie reminds me that Christmas isn't about how we celebrate. Christmas is about who we celebrate. Christmas isn't about how we celebrate. Christmas is about who we celebrate. So as this movie begins, the snow is falling and it's covering everything the eye can see with a blanket of white. The temperature has been dropping and after a few days of being below freezing, even the local pond has turned to ice. And two little boys slip out of a nice warm house so that they can go ice skating with all their friends. But as they walk down the snow-covered streets that no one has even dared to try to salt or to shovel, their conversation doesn't revolve around how they're going to spend their snow day. Instead, their conversation turns to what every child truly looks forward to at this time of year. Their conversation turns to Christmas. And one of these little boys turns to the other and says, I think there must be something wrong with me. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I might be getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that. But I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. This is, of course, the beginning of the classic Christmas cartoon, A Charlie Brown Christmas. And as the story continues to unfold, we all begin to realize why Charlie Brown just doesn't understand Christmas. Whether it's Lucy complaining that she never gets what she really wants for Christmas, which is real estate, by the way, or Snoopy competing in the super colossal neighborhood Christmas lights and display contest so that he can win money, 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 or Charlie Brown's sister Sally asking Santa to bring her tens and twenties if Santa can't quite handle all of the extravagant wishes on her Christmas list that year. It's plain to see that the commercialism of Christmas is getting to good old Charlie Brown. But the funny thing is that the commercialism of Christmas was getting to Charlie Brown way back in 1965. Do you realize that that was 48 years before people lined up in the cold weather on Black Friday to try to bring home a PS4 or an Xbox One? It was 33 years before a creepy little creature with giant eyes called a Furby sent moms and dads rushing out to the toy store. It was 31 years before folks literally got into fistfights over Tickle Me Elmo. It was 29 years before middle schoolers went mad over little cardboard discs that were called Pogs. And it was 15 years before the first ever Christmas toy craze caught on over some spinning cube a guy named Rubik's invented. A Charlie Brown's Christmas takes place in the 60s. The 60s was the decade that brought us some of our favorite holiday movies like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and How the Grinch Stole Christmas and even Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. The 60s was a time when Norman Rockwell was still painting Christmas scenes for the Saturday Evening Post. The 60s was a time when Christmas lists were highlighted by things like Barbie dolls and board games and G.I. Joes that might run you about six bucks instead of video game consoles and video games that could set you back more than $600. Now in 2020, when it felt like retailers were putting out Christmas displays before summer break had even ended for our kids, 
It's almost quaint to hear Charlie Brown complaining about missing out on the real meaning of Christmas. But the truly amazing thing to me is that we have been complaining about the consumerism and commercialism of Christmas, and we've been trying to remind people of the reason for the season since long before Charlie Brown ever graced the funny pages in our newspapers. And when I say long, I mean long. We're not talking about a decade or two here. We're not even talking about a century or two here. When I say long, we're talking about a time long before the Declaration of Independence was even signed. And a time long before Christopher Columbus ever dared to sail the ocean blue. We're talking about a time long before Gutenberg invented the printing press. And we're talking about a time long before Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of a Wittenberg church. So just how long ago were we talking about here? Almost 800 years. You see, it was way back in 1223 that St. Francis of Assisi began working on a way to return the focus of Christmas to worshiping Jesus instead of having folks focus on gift-giving, which is a tradition that dates back more than 1,600 years. So Francis petitioned Pope Honorus III to allow him to create a special display in a cave in Grigio, Italy, because the small church there wasn't large enough to accommodate midnight mass on Christmas Day. And with the Pope's blessing, Francis brought an ox and a donkey to that cave along with a manger that he filled with hay. And in the wee hours of that Christmas day, the nativity scene that we see under Christmas trees and out in front of churches this time of year was born. That's right, the nativity scene, like the one that Michelle has been talking about during her story time with our kids every week during this Advent season. It was originally created to pull people away from how we celebrate Christmas and to return our attention to who we celebrate at Christmas. And it seems that over the centuries, the nativity scene has done just that. Whether it's been done in life-size statues or smaller figurines, it seems that by simply viewing Mary and her baby Jesus, that we're reminded that Christmas is sacred. Because at Christmas, God became one of us. But sometimes, when we see the figurines and statues in our nativity sets, they just seem so far removed from the world that we actually live in. So it's easy for us to forget that on that first Christmas day, when God actually became human, that the sacred became part of the secular. That the divine became part of the mundane. That the creator became part of his creation. And it's this idea that has inspired another approach to nativity scenes. Rather than simply placing Mary and Joseph in the traditional barnyard setting, artists from Naples, Italy, have been placing the Holy Family among ordinary people doing ordinary things for over 300 years. So instead of only seeing shepherds and wise men in these scenes, You'll find shoemakers and innkeepers, bakers and fruit vendors, fishmongers and butchers, carpenters and blacksmiths, beggars and the poor. But perhaps the most interesting thing about these Neapolitan nativity scenes is that they didn't get stuck in the 1700s when artists first began to create them. Instead, these artists continue to update these scenes every single year. 
So not long ago, you would have found a Jedi Master in the scene right beside baby Jesus. Or another year, it would have been the King of Pop, Michael Jackson, standing beside the King of Kings. And of course, for this year's nativity sets, created in Naples, Italy, you'll find most of the figurines wearing face masks and standing six feet apart. Now, I know what you might be thinking here. What in the world do Jedi Masters and Michael Jackson or face masks have to do with Jesus' birth? Well, the easiest answer to that question is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's because we all know that Jesus' birth took place in a certain year, on a certain date, at a certain time. And we know that there were certain people, and probably at least a few animals, that were there to witness this history-altering event. And this means that if someone standing beside the manger was fortunate enough to have a smartphone tucked away in their pocket, that they could have actually recorded the whole thing and shown us exactly who was there when Jesus was born. And even though I wasn't standing there that first Christmas day, I feel pretty confident guaranteeing you right now that nobody was doing the moonwalk beside baby Jesus' manger. So why do these Italian artists include these pop culture figurines if they clearly don't belong in the nativity? Well, I like to think that one of the reasons why that they are including things in these nativity scenes is because at Jesus' birth, there have always been people that didn't belong there. The story of Jesus' birth has always included people who didn't belong there. And our scripture reading for today will show you what I mean. In the passage that we're going to be looking at today, it comes from Luke chapter 2. And just as a reminder for you here, the book of Luke is basically a biography of Jesus. So in the book of Luke, you're going to find stories about Jesus' birth and his baptism. You'll find stories about his life and his ministry and the miracles he performed, as well as stories about his crucifixion and his resurrection. But in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, we're going to hear about the first people to visit Jesus after he was born. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 2. We'll start reading together in verse 8. Here's what it says. Nearby, shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, Glory to God in heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what's happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. Now, when you picture the nativity scene in your mind, you may not imagine Star Wars characters being in it. But it is almost impossible to imagine the nativity scene without the shepherds being there. I mean, it just wouldn't be Christmas without that figurine of a young boy cradling a sheep in his arms or without that slightly older shepherd leading a, a few ewes from his flock to be at the bedside of our Savior. 
But the truth is that the depictions of the shepherds that we find in our nativity scenes, well, they aren't exactly accurate. I mean, it's true that shepherding was a once noble occupation for the people of Israel. A calling that was passed down from the fathers of our faith. Everyone from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, all the way down to Moses and even David, had been shepherds. But something happened to this once proud profession while the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. You see, Egypt was an agrarian culture that saw shepherding as a waste of perfectly good land that could be used to produce better foods. So, shepherds were forced down the social ladder in ancient Egypt and throughout the ancient world. They were forced into the far corners of every culture around. And that's exactly where the shepherds found themselves on that cold winter's night that was so deep. They found themselves laying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night, far from the minds of practically everyone in all of Israel. The reality is that the only time that most people were even aware of the existence of these shepherds was when the shepherds either accidentally or intentionally led their flocks onto someone else's land to graze. And this dishonest streak inside of the shepherds, it actually caused Jews to take a legal stance that forbid buying wool or milk or a kid, as in a baby sheep or a goat, not a human child, from a shepherd on the assumption that it was stolen property. So if there was ever a group of people who did not belong beside the manger, it was the shepherds. The shepherds were less than nobody. They were crooks and they were criminals living on the fringes of society. They were denied basic rights. The shepherds were treated as less than human. Or to put it another way for you, there were so many other people who deserved to be there more than the shepherds did. There were kings and queens, emperors and rulers that should have been at the bedside of our Savior. There were religious leaders and devout priests who deserved to be there when Jesus was born more than the shepherds did. There were wealthy wise men in the east and elderly men and women gathered in the temple who should have been there to see Jesus after he was born instead of these shepherds. But there may not have been anyone in all of Israel who needed to be there more than the shepherds. The shepherds needed to be there because they lived in a world that could care less if they even existed. The shepherds needed to be there because they lived in a culture that treated them with contempt. The shepherds needed to be there because they lived in a time when they were simply hated because of their profession. The shepherds needed to be there because they lived a life that offered them little to be happy about. But that night, when they met Jesus, it didn't matter if the world knew they existed, because God knew they did. On that night, it didn't matter if everyone treated them with contempt, because God treated them like honored guests. On that night, it didn't matter if the rest of the world hated them, because on that night, God showed them how much he loved them. And on that night, it didn't matter if they had anything else to be happy about. Because the shepherds were there when joy came into this world. On that night, there may not have been anyone in all of Israel that needed to be at baby Jesus' side 
more than the shepherds did. And there may not be any other person in the nativity scene that we need to be there more than we need the shepherds to be there. Because when God invited the shepherds to be the first ones to see his son, God showed us something incredible about who God is. When God invited the shepherds, people that didn't belong in the rest of the world, God showed that he loves every single one of us. And at the first Christmas, God promised us that we all belong. At the first Christmas, God promised us that we all belong. You belong. You belong. God didn't just come for kings and queens. God came for you. God didn't just come for priests and for pastors. God came for you. God didn't just come for wise men and for angels. God came for you. And that's what Christmas is really all about. Christmas reminds us that God loves you enough to come into this world to become one of us. God loves you enough to experience all of the ups and all of the downs, all of the joys and all of the sorrows, so that God can really understand what it's like to be you. God loves you enough to experience the worst that humanity has to offer. When Jesus was crucified on that cross, so that God could forgive you, of anything and everything that separates you from him. And God did it all because God wants you to belong to him. So as you sit down over the next few days and celebrate this Christmas, never forget what Christmas is about. Christmas isn't about presents and Christmas isn't about decorations. Christmas isn't even about special services that happen at our church. And Christmas isn't even about being together with our family and our friends. Christmas isn't about how we celebrate at all. Christmas is all about who we celebrate. And at Christmas, we celebrate a God who loves us enough to send his son into this world for every single one of us. And as long as we remember that, Christmas isn't canceled. It may be different but the truth will always remain the same. Christmas tells us the good news that Jesus was born because God loves every single one of us. So let's celebrate who our God is. Let's celebrate the good news that Jesus came into our world. Let's celebrate because Christmas can never be canceled. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we thank you for what we have heard today. We thank you for the story of the shepherds, God, and the reality that the shepherds didn't belong at the nativity scene. There were so many other people that should have been there before the shepherds, God. But you chose to share the good news that Jesus was born with them first. And you did it to show us that we all belong at the nativity scene. We are all invited to come beside the manger. We are all a part of the people that you love, God. So remind us that that is the true meaning of the season, God. That Christmas isn't about how we celebrate. It's about who we celebrate. And in a few days, God, come Christmas morning, let us all celebrate the good news that Jesus was born that Jesus entered into this world, that Jesus came into this world to show your love for us all. 
We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's sermon has reminded you that we all belong in the kingdom of God. We are all loved by God. It's true for the shepherds, and it's true for each and every one of us. I also want to let you know that we're going to be finishing up this sermon series called Christmas Isn't Cancelled next Sunday, and we'll be talking about the wise men. That episode will drop around noon Eastern time, so we hope that you'll come back and listen to that. I also want to let you know that we're going to have a very special episode of our podcast coming out on Christmas Eve. At Melbourne Heights, Christmas Eve is a time where we slow down and really try to focus in on what this season is all about before all of the craziness and chaos of Christmas Day gets started. So we hope that you'll come back and join us on Christmas Eve. That episode will drop at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, that's all that I've got for today, so I hope that you guys have a great week and a very Merry Christmas.